Welcome back, everybody. Happy New Year. I hope you guys are all doing well. First Clubhouse Talk podcast of the year. And it is a uh, it's a wonderful time of year. We're, we're getting ready for the national championship game coming up on this coming Monday as we sit here recording on uh, Thursday, January 6th. And so to bring in and talk about this game, we're going to bring in one of my favorite college football experts. You've heard him on this podcast many, many times. And uh, so well, let's uh, welcome back in Brett. How are you doing today, man? I am good. I, I, I'm glad to be back. I wouldn't call myself an expert, though, by any means. But I, I am a college football enthusiast. I do love me some college football. Hey, that's uh, that's a that's a word that we can kind of there's you can use those words simultaneously on this podcast. Expert enthusiast. Same thing around here. We uh, we're all enthusiasts and we're all our own. We're our own experts. So at bare minimum, I could call you my Nebraska expert. That you could. So I know it's a it's a cold day up there. And for you in Omaha, it's a uh, it's a chilly, snowy day here in Nashville. So it's a it's a great day to sit down and uh, and do this podcast and, and break down this national championship game. Are you excited? I am very excited for this game uh, rematch. Uh, I mean, we'll get into the to the nitty gritty about it here in a minute. But yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I'm I'm kind of sad that the Michigan Wolverines didn't get in there just to represent the Big Ten. But I think we're getting the best two teams available for this national championship. So as a college football fan, I'm happy. I, I think that everybody could sit there and look at that, that if you'd said at the beginning of the year that it was Alabama, Georgia, nobody would be surprised. There's probably a lot of really, really ticked off people around the country that don't like the SEC, don't want to continue to see the SEC dominate. But at the end of the day, you can't be mad when you get the, the top two teams. These two teams have the most talent. They have arguably the best coaching staffs. Um, it, it is going to be a really, really good game, in, in my opinion. But it, it's exciting to get a uh, get a rematch because I don't know how much Georgia had to play for in that SEC championship game. I mean, on one hand, if they won, they probably knock out Alabama. But if you lose for them, if they lost, it didn't mean anything. They were going to get into the playoff either way, as, as we saw. And then you had Alabama, on the other hand, they were playing for their life. They were playing for their playoff. Uh, life to try and get in so I I guess we'll just start there of do you see this game potentially looking different do you think that the SEC championship game is going to correlate to a lot of what we'll see Monday night I think scheme wise at least for Alabama it will cor- uh, correlate but I think it's very hard to beat a team twice and um, these two teams seeing each other a little over a month ago I think they each know what they're going to do what each other is going to do and uh, they obviously know their strengths. They're familiar with each other. They've played each other before. Um, and I think I think Mark Richt and the uh, – sorry, not Mark Richt. Not, we're not in 2011 anymore. Kirby <laughs> Smart, the Georgia Bulldogs will have a better plan for how to handle this Alabama, Alabama offense here in the national championship. I mean, they better because it was a horrible game plan that they had in, in the first game. I, I don't know if it was just a really vanilla game plan that they didn't want to give away a lot. Um, but they're sitting here trying to figure out what they need to do. I think for starters is they've got to find a way to get to the quarterback and actually put pressure on Bryce Young. They did not get him on the ground one single time in the SEC championship game, which is pretty absurd to think about with the Georgia strength of their team is their defense, specifically their defensive line. And they were a complete and total non-factor other than the fact that Georgia or Bama knew they couldn't run the ball. So they threw the ball all over the place and they've got no pressure on Bryce Young. You look at the games that Bryce Young really struggled this year. You look at the AM game, 
you look at the LSU game or the Auburn game, he was running for his life the entire time and never had a chance to get comfortable and set his, set himself up. And that's one thing George is going to have to fix, in my opinion, coming into this game. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think the biggest thing for Georgia to do in this game, or I guess I should say biggest two things. Bryce Young's going to do Bryce Young things. He's the Heisman winner. He's set SEC records, freshman records, and just player records for a season. Um, I think the two biggest things Georgia needs to do is they need to stop the wide receivers on the outside. They need to stop um, Jameson Williams on the outside. Um, and they need to contain Brian Robinson. Brian Robinson ran all over Cincinnati's defense. And I know it's Cincinnati. I know they're not the typical team Alabama sees week in and week out. But I think that Brian Robinson guy is pretty special. And he you hear, you hear all the time, establishing the run um, opens up plays in the past. And if Georgia can contain Robinson to – under 100 yards, I would guess. That would probably mean a lot more for Georgia's pass defense just because they're going to force Alabama to pass the ball more. Yeah, you're going to start – if you can stop them from getting ahead of the chains on first and second down, you're, you're putting them in into tougher positions on third down, which is going to help both your pass rush and it's going to probably help your pass defense in the long run, assuming your corners are going to be able to hold up. Um, and I think one thing, a great way that Georgia could be able to do this, if you go back and you look at those, specifically the uh, A&M game and the Auburn game, is that those teams, what they did to try and get at Bryce Young was basically they just put everybody up on the line of scrimmage. They brought all their linebackers down. They put their corners one-on-one coverage, and then they had their whole defensive line sitting up front. And Bryce Young and Bama's offensive line had no clue who was coming. If you look at the SEC championship game, Georgia kind of – they didn't really bring any exotic blitzes. They didn't line up everybody up front and then drop this linebacker this time, a different linebacker another time. And so they kind of had an idea of where the play should go before the snap happened. And that's one thing I want to see from Curry Smart, who is a defensive-minded coach – um, is to be able to come up with some of these uh, exotic blitzes and something to confuse Bryce Young. At the end of the day, he is still a freshman, or I guess or is he a redshirt sophomore. He's a second-year player. Um, and so he who knows, who knows eligibility nowadays. I know it all gets <laughs> confused. Um, but no, I mean they're gonna have if you want to confuse a young guy, this is what you do is you just, you start giving him some more difficult NFL schemes to look at, some of where he doesn't know where everybody's coming, the offensive line doesn't know it. They don't block everybody correctly. And then you can start getting, start playing mind games with them. He'll start seeing ghosts out there. And I think that that's one thing that uh, their best chance, in my opinion, of starting to get themselves back into the game. Agreed. And I, I think offensively, I think Georgia needs to open up a little bit. I think Kirby needs to let their playmakers make plays and not be scared to make that explosive play. Because I mean, you've talked about this before. Kirby kind of does play a little bit scared, especially this quarterback play. I mean, that's why we're seeing Stetson Bennett start a quarterback. He kind of wants that game manager to be in there and just kind of run the ball for three yards every play or get that pass completion right across the first down line. Um, I, I think they need to try to expose this. I, don't, I shouldn't say expose because Alabama obviously has a top-notch defense, but they need to take these plays downfield and kind of make Alabama's defense uncomfortable and have them second-guessing. I don't know if Stetson has the arm to be able to truly 
push the ball down the field. That's what I'm afraid of for Georgia is that at the end of the day, I agree with you that, that I went on, on this podcast a month ago. I said that Curry Smart is scared and that he is too afraid to put in a quarterback that's not a game manager because he doesn't want his offense making mistakes. He wants to win a game with his defense. He's too afraid to, to change and be adaptable. If you look at Nick Saban, Nick Saban has been the definition of adaptable for the last really five or six years. The guy has gone from some teams he rides the defense, some teams he's just letting the ball loose. And so I'm not saying that this is a team that, that Kirby should be relying on his offense, but I think he's got a far more talented quarterback in JT Daniels behind him. And at this point, you're not going to put JT Daniels in. The guy hasn't played since the first game of the year. Um, you're not going to throw him in the national championship game, but I, I just truly wonder if Stetson Bennett is going to be able to get the job done as Georgia's quarterback. I don't know if he can put up the points because at the end of the day, I'm convinced Bama is going to score 28 at the, uh, at the end of this game. And I don't know if Stetson can put up 30 on Bama. Yeah, agreed. Um, I guess I mean, Georgia has good wide receivers on the outside uh, that I think can make plays. But Pickens, Pickens is a great playmaker at the yeah. edge. Agreed, yeah. It's Pickens just a matter of can stats and get him the ball. Yeah, and then Brock Bowers, the, the true freshman uh, tight end, that guy. Yeah, that he, guy played, he played fantastic that in that SEC championship game. He was the only guy on their offense that showed up. They were just running him up the seam the whole game. And I have a feeling that Saban's probably going to stop that from happening this time around. So they're going to need to look at somebody else. Uh, I would be shocked if, if Saban allows the same thing to happen twice in, in less than a month. And truly, that uh, at the end of the day, I think that a lot of this is going to come down to which coaching staff is more prepared. And when you're talking about Nick Saban's coaching staff, Kirby Smart's coaching staff, I have a pretty good feeling of which coaching staff I want to back give it a month to prepare for a game, even if they just played, or I guess it's a week and a half, but they just played a month ago. Um, Saban did a pretty good job of game planning for the first one. I would be really, really surprised if he didn't have a good game plan for the second one. Right. Going back to the George Pickens, is, is he healthy? He is. Yeah. He's, he played the first time in that uh, SEC championship game. Okay. I was going to say, I'm looking at his stats right now and he's played in four games, had four catches for 55 yards. So yeah, I guess missing missing a player like him really does do something to that Georgia offense. I mean, he'll he'll be a top two round pick in the NFL draft. Oh, no doubt. I mean, he was coming off that ACL injury. It's a huge get getting them back, getting him back at the end of the year. He's had a couple games, so he's probably gonna start getting his legs under him a little bit better. He's had a month of practices. Uh so I would assume he's gonna only continue to be, become more productive and more helpful. Um, and you look on Bama side, obviously they are going to be playing without, uh, their star receiver, uh, who, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name. Mechie. Yeah. Mechie who tore his ACL, uh, in the championship game, but clearly they just, they leaned on their defense uh, or their running game and their defense in the, in the games in Cincinnati didn't really have to do too much. If they get into a shootout with Georgia, it'll be interesting to see if they have who they would go to the playmakers on the outside. Um, but in all the ways I see this game breaking down and all the, the different, you know, simulations and game scripts, I don't see shootout in the cards. I don't either, but Alabama, I mean, as we've seen in the past probably four or five years, they have receivers upon receivers. They have playmakers that are three, four positions down in the depth chart. They're just, they're just so stacked. 
a wide receiver, especially on the outside, that I don't I don't want to say it doesn't matter that John Mechie isn't playing because he's obviously a special player, but I, I think they're going to be able to fill that role pretty easily. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the talent level of Alabama in what in Georgia also at the same time is absolutely ridiculous. If you look back at the uh, Alabama Cincinnati game, uh, Cincinnati has two players on their roster that were top 150 recruits coming out of high school. Alabama had a top 150 recruit lead their team in passing, rushing, receiving, tackles for loss, and sacks in that game against Cincinnati. They, their entire team is stacked with these guys in the top 150. And you're looking at a team like Cincinnati who's got two on their whole roster. And you start trying to wonder, of like, why can't Cincinnati hang with an Alabama? Uh, that's why right there. I mean, at the end of the day, you've, you've got to have the talent. You have to have the Jimmys and Joes before you even worry about the X's and O's. Right. Um, so it, for me, I, I look at it as between coaching, Bama has a better quarterback play. And at the and I think there's a psychological battle here of Kirby Smart and Georgia just haven't been able to get past Alabama in forever. I'm I'm taking Alabama right now. I just do not see it changing. I know it is tough to beat a team twice in a month, let alone in the same season, but I'm I'm gonna ride with Nick Saban this week. I'm going to as well. Uh, like you said, they just have they have dudes on every position on their team, three spots down on the depth chart. Uh, I I just think they're too talented, and I was I was a player that was kind of hating, or I was a fan that was kind of hating on Alabama a little bit early in the season. Oh, I was hating on them too. I I was watching them, and and I was like, this is not the same Alabama team. They had that struggle. They struggled the second or third week with Florida. Um, Frankly, they didn't play all that super impressive against Tennessee when they played them. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think this is the worst Alabama team that we have seen in the college football playoff era, which blows my mind to think about because I'm sitting here telling you that the wor- worst team that they've had, I'm predicting to win a national championship. And They've had better teams that haven't won a national championship, but I think that they were better teams in those playoff eras as well in, in those playoffs those years. Yeah, in some ways you could say this is kind of a down year for college football as a whole, which is a little surprising because of the amount of players that came back for their extra year of eligibility. But I just think college football is changing so much with the transfer portal and NIL and um, just all the different factors that are going in, the extra years of eligibility, um, which I don't think necessarily is a bad thing. I think this was just kind of a weird year. Um, I mean, talking about this game, we're saying we're both favoring Alabama, but Georgia is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. One of those people in the desert know, Brett. They know nothing. Yeah, I I don't understand it. (laughs) I I don't get it either. They were – I think they were seven-point favorite or six-and-a-half-point favorite in the SEC championship game. They get their doors blown off. Lose 41 to 20, I think the score was, something like that, uh, or 41-24, which, fun fact, the last two times Georgia and Alabama have played, the final scores have been 41 to 24, believe it or not. Interesting little tidbit there. But, yeah, but it it just, it's, I don't understand what they saw and what they think, other than the fact that I can tell you that I think Georgia has the more talented team, 
talent doesn't always win out when they're this close. It, it's not a big difference in talent, but I would say overall from top to bottom, if you stacked up a talent composite, Georgia has a more talented team. Just look at the recruiting rankings. Nick Saban is a better, better coach. They've got a better quarterback. And those are the things that matter when it comes down to a national championship game on the big stage. So the teams that have beat Nick Saban in the national championship, you have Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson. Those are generational talents. Stetson Bennett is not one of those two guys. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. Um, and and I, I don't know if I would say this is a down year for college football. I think in a sense – it's more like the lower tiers have gotten themselves closer to that upper tier because of all those extra years of eligibility and all those super seniors and players coming back. I, I would say it's closer to that than it is the top players have come down, in my opinion. Or top teams yeah, come down. yeah I, that's, that's a fair statement. I mean, look at our two teams, Tennessee and Nebraska. I mean, Nebraska was three and nine, but we were in, what, what was it, seven or eight one-score games. It was eight. It was eight one-score games. We lost by one score. The, the, the only, the only, or the only uh, caveat to that is we lost to Ohio State by 12, 13, something like that. I thought the Ohio State one may have been a close one. I think it was Wisconsin that may have been the uh, one that wasn't single digits. But no, you guys lost a lot of close score, or close games, a lot of one-score games. Um, Tennessee lost a lot of one-score games. I mean, you look at it, and it's why we had upsets. But then you at the end of the day, you get the teams like Cincinnati and Michigan that, that can pull it off, and then you get to this cream of the crop at the very top. And that's where we sit here with two teams in, in the SEC of Georgia and Alabama sitting at the top. They've been killing and recruiting the last few years. Um, it's no surprise that they're here. I, I guess, you know, as people sit here and hate on the SEC, we always – the hot-button hot topic in college football is – playoff expansion and do you expand it to eight do you expand it to 12 do you keep it at four um, i would say it's, it's interesting what I, <laughs> it's a little bit counterintuitive what i'm probably going to say what i'm going to say here is that i think it's better for college football to expand to eight but i think if you want less parity and you want more chaos and more teams playing for a national championship every year that are different you should be cheering for it to actually go back to two teams like in the BCS. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, yeah, that's a fair statement. Um, the one thing I would say to that is I'm also on the, on the side of let's, let's expand it. Why not? Because right now, I mean, you look at teams like Ohio state, like if they're not playing for something, you're seeing so many opt-outs. So why not expand and make these other New Year's six bowls, all playoff bowls, just to get the the viewership up for games, one, and two, to keep these top-tier players that are on top-tier teams playing for New Year's Six Bowls to not opt out because Ohio State had a ton of opt-outs, and that was a great team. Oh, yeah. They, they worked they without a lot of players. They still won, but they were without a lot of top right. players, and I think that there's two real, really good ways to fix that, and I think one of the ways is, like you're saying, is to expand it. And plus, there's – like, who doesn't want – more meaningful championship like deciding games who who would not want more games of top level like in high school football they've got a full 18 or 12 team playoff you look at the nfl they're going to a 14 team playoff this year so 
it's on both of those levels, but I'm, but at the end of the day that the people that hate watching the sec run it every year, those are the people that I think should be wanting to go to two teams. Cause you look at it this year, we would have had Michigan and Alabama would have been your national championship game. Now that would have been a route, but you would have gotten different teams. You would have gotten a lot more. You would have gotten Notre Dame in, in previous years. You could have gotten a little bit different tastes over the years. It would have been less sec, but I, I am one for expanding it. And I think it's just because at the end of the day, no one, if you're a fan of college football, you should want more games that mean a lot and more playoff games will keep more teams interested through the year. If you lose early, your whole season's not over. You can go on a long win, winning streak, win eight, nine, 10 games in a row, get to the end of the year, and you're playing for a spot in the playoff as a 10th, you know, as the 10th team team in the country, instead of sitting there at number 10 and being like, well, we can play for a New Year's Six Bowl if we keep winning, but it's not going to get us into the playoff. Right. And you'll hear a lot of people make the argument that, well, let's use, let's use Alabama against Cincinnati for an example. Um, lower, lower tier teams such as Cincinnati getting into the playoff is just going to lead to blowouts and no one wants to watch that. Well, another example here in Nebraska, we have a 16 team playoff for our high school football and the number one seed Bellevue West team chock full of division one talent. I think they have 10 guys going division one playing SEC, Big 12, Big 10 football. And they were upset first round by the 16th seed, Omaha North, who is not, was not a good team. <laughs> and I know, it's, I know it's high school football, and it's high school and college is just so much different. But just seeing those Cinderella stories, like... I mean, it's why, it's why you play the game. At the end of the day, anything can happen. And if you get a couple breaks, I mean, that's why you want to see it. And for the people that say Cincinnati didn't deserve to be there, and because they got blown out, go look at, okay, you're going to say Michigan didn't deserve to be there because they got blown out by Georgia. Are you going to sit there and say in years past that Clemson didn't deserve to be there when they played Alabama got blown out. Michigan state didn't deserve to be there and they got blown out. Like there have been blowouts every single year. I think the average margin of victory in a semifinal game right now is like 17 points. They've never been close. I think we've had one good semifinal game and that was the Oklahoma Georgia Rose bowl in 2015, 2016. Or I think no, I guess 2017. Yeah, 27 uh, beginning of 2017. First sophomore year of college. Yeah. So that was that was, I think, the only good playoff game that I can truly remember to my recollection. After that, the rest of them have been meaningless in all blowouts in one way or the other. And so I, I can't sit there and tell you that Cincinnati wasn't one of the four best teams in the country. I still believe that they were the fourth best team in the country, deserved to be there. Problem is they just don't have the talent to keep up and that's okay. It's, it's not always going to be fair. There are better teams. Right. And kind of switch, switch over to a different gear. Uh, I think the transfer portal is going to help out a lot with that because there are going to be guys on teams like Alabama and Georgia who don't want to wait their time. And we've already seen this. Don't want to wait their two, three years to get on the playing field. And they're going to want to transfer early to a lesser program that they can play right away. And who's saying teams like, Cincinnati, who's now going to the Big 12, can't get those high-level transfers to come in and play right away and contribute and make those teams more competitive. The transfer portal the last, I guess, week or this year has been absolutely insane. There have been 1,480 players that have transferred in the uh, in the FBS that have gone into the transfer portal. This if Basically, 1,500 players have, are going to attempt to switch teams. Now, 
Some of them will end up going back to their original teams. It is what it is, but that's going to continue to keep a lot of these guys and a lot of teams competitive because you can rebuild programs faster. If you can get some good transfers in from lower programs, it's going to start to look a lot like college basketball has. Honestly, you look at what college basketball has been for the last couple of years of, of guys that are bringing in a transfer for one year um, and kind of mixing and matching it with some young, good talent and then some senior laden players. And those have been a lot of the teams that you've seen make deep March Madness runs. They go out, the coaches find that, that one player on their team they're missing, um, whether it be a shooter or a big man, something like that, bring them over from a smaller conference. And then they go make their run with that. And because you maybe missed out on a recruiting cycle on bringing in a good one or a player you recruited kind of busted. So I, I think the transfer portal in, at the end of the day is actually going to be a good thing. I, I know a lot of people hate it. I just think it's going to actually create a lot more competitiveness across the entire college football landscape. Yeah. To your point with the college basketball thing, like, you know, I'm a college basketball nut. Like I love yeah. basketball and a team like Kentucky, they were not good last year. They, uh, they didn't make the tournament. They, I, I don't even know if they had a winning record last year, to be honest. I don't um, think they did. I know they didn't make the tournament for the first time and God knows how long. Yeah. Well, they got a transfer Oscar Sheboy from West Virginia. Um, probably not a super common household name unless you're really a big college fast basketball fan, but he's averaging 15 and 15 this year. <laughs> and Kentucky's 11 and two. Like yeah. these transfers, a lot of the times make a huge impact and maybe it doesn't work out at your first stop. Who's, who's saying a good transfer player, maybe just didn't get the right uh, chances at his, at his first college, or maybe the, just the, the team wasn't a fit. Um, I, I like it. You see, you see coaching changes all the time, whether it be head coaching changes, um, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, your position coach changes. All of these things can affect how somebody develops and plays because you bring in somebody else and they could run a completely different scheme than what you are good for. And you're not going to be successful in a scheme that's not built around. So then they get their opportunity, go somewhere else, and then they can go thrive there just because if Adrian Martinez went and lit it up somewhere, I wouldn't blame that on Nebraska's poor coaching. I would just say that, okay, it reached, you know, that is what he was able to do with Scott Frost system, which may not be the best system for him. It, it doesn't have any knock on what the, what the coaching staff did. It's just kind of the, the you know, it's the cars that he's dealt and he's doing the best he can with. I'm glad you touched on that. And I don't want to get off of that. <laughs> Because I'm sure a lot of your listeners don't care about Nebraska, which is hey, we all love we love all college football here. We we shame nobody. But Adrian Martinez was given every chance in the world to be good at Nebraska. And I think our quarterback coach position, uh Mario Verduzco, uh kind of hindered his development. I mean, he was better as a freshman than he was as a junior. I mean, his senior year wasn't it wasn't it wasn't bad. I, I don't think us being three and nine this year was on him. I think that was on our special teams. But him transferring to what I'd consider a lesser program, Kansas State, they're going to play lesser competition in the Big 12 than in the Big 10. And I could totally see him going off and playing well. And a lot of Nebraska fans will say, well, that's because of our coaching and that's because of all these different factors. No, it's, in my opinion, it's because he's going to be playing Kansas and Iowa State without Brock Purdy and Brees Hall and He's gonna be playing Texas Tech every week. Like those yeah. that, not, that you're not playing, you're not playing Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, Wisconsin. You're playing lesser, lesser teams. So it, it it's I mean it's different for everyone. So 
everyone's situation is different. And I respect Adrian for what he did for what he did at Nebraska and what he did for us. He always was a great leader for us, but I'm, I'm glad he ended up at a place where I think he can, he can shine. Speaking of big 12 quarterbacks, Casey Thompson rumors true. I, I would not be mad. Uh, what Kylie's talking about is Casey Thompson, the uh, quarterback, starting quarterback for Texas here, entered his name into the transfer portal and has announced a top five for his father. Um, his father's alma mater, Oklahoma, is in his top five, which they just got Dylan Gabriel, um, transferred from UCF, who was previously committed to UCLA. Um, Mizzou is in his top five, but they have now said they're not recruiting him. Um, Indiana's in his top five which they just got Connor Bazernick. Uh, Basilak. Basilak from Adam, Missouri. From Missouri, yep. Auburn is in his top five, and they just got Zach Calzana from a which I think is a huge pickup for Auburn because he knows how to beat Alabama. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Nebraska is the last team in his top five. The only team in his top five that doesn't currently have a quarterback, even though we have Logan Smothers and Heinrich Harburg and freshman Richard Torres coming in. But I, I, I think I, I see him ending up in Nebraska. And we're actually hosting another transfer um, visit here January 14th from uh, Chuba Purdy. Uh, Brock Purdy's little brother transferring from Florida State. And uh, he previously had a pretty well-built relationship with uh, our new offense coordinator, Mark Whipple, who was at Pitt last year um, and coached up uh, – Kenny Pickett into being a first round draft pick. So I think the quarterback position in Nebraska's future is pretty bright. Now it's the fact if we can put together our special teams for once <laughs> and find an O-line to protect Thompson or Purdy or whoever's playing next year. Oh, yeah, it's always way more important than just the quarterback position. The transfer portal for quarterbacks, it's absolutely wild this year. The amount of quarterbacks that have the talent at quarterback that has gone into the portal this year has been insane. And that I think will be the biggest uh, thing that we'll see going forward is that it's in a sense, it's kind of like free agency with these quarterbacks, um, especially once you start throwing in NIL deals, but you can absolutely flip a team based off who you get. I mean, you look at somebody like Caleb, Caleb Williams being in the portal. I think there's maybe three or four teams in the country that would tell you, no, we're good. Outside of that, I think there's probably about 115 teams in the FBS that would, or 125 teams in the FBS that would tell Caleb Williams, you got the keys to the car day one, get here. Yeah. I think I could tell you about three teams that would say no to him right now. And two of them are in the college football playoff. And <laughs> one is Ohio state. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say what? You've got C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. Um, Bryce Young at Alabama. Young at Alabama. And, and Michigan, they have two quarterbacks that I think could do pretty well for them. Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy. I mean, outside of that, I genuinely don't know if there's a team that would tell you, nope, we don't want you, Caleb. I know Clemson would love him. I know that. Oh, Georgia yeah. Would love him. I, will, I know that. I mean, all those teams should and would. I guarantee you. <laughs> they just got Zach Calzada. I guarantee you they would take him. I guarantee you A&M would take him, even though they got Miles Brennan from LSU. Um, you basically just look around the board, and it's like, yep, yep, yep. And he is 
an absolute game changer for him, for any team. Oh, yeah, for sure. Got three years of eligibility, technically, um, or two two full years of eligibility before he can leave for the draft even. Um, and the talent and what he did for that Oklahoma team, sparking it when he came in the Texas game, and then what they did after that, you can't deny it. So I'm not saying he's going to be a Heisman Trophy winner, but I can tell you that he's absolutely can change a change a coaching staff's you know tenure. If, if he like if he went to Nebraska, what he could do for someone like Scott Frost, who's coming in on the hot seat and basically flip around someone's entire coaching life at a school, is immeasurable. Right, and I, I know we're not we're not even in the realm of getting him, but oh, I know. I'm just I was just putting it out there as a. I would love it. <laughs> I would love it, but I would hope so. You know, I, I completely agree. I mean, not even just him. There's just so much talent. Scott out of the portal. Bo Nix, Zach Calzana, uh, Caleb Williams, um, Spencer Rattler. Uh, it's, Cameron, and it doesn't Cameron even start Ward. with that. I mean, that's just quarterbacks. And then you look at the quality of people you can get at, like wide receiver on the defensive line, offensive line, um, corners and safeties. I mean, teams can absolutely just restock. I mean, you look at what Mel Tucker did at Michigan State, um, what he was able to do with that team to take in, I think it was like 25 or 30 transfers. And that team went from being one of the worst teams in the Big Ten a year ago to being, what, the second or third best team in the East? Third best team? So you can flip it around in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean – Speaking of just being in a different position, like transferring just to be in a different room, different, just different situation. Kenneth Walker is a prime example of that. He transferred in from Wake Forest where he split carries and transferred to Michigan State, a team that is known for their running of the ball. Um, I mean, they're the Big Ten. Like that's what most people know the Big Ten as is a grind, grind the ball and play defense. I mean, that, that was a perfect fit for him. And, now he's a first, probably a first round draft pick. Yeah, in, maybe a second, maybe a second round draft pick. And it took one year. It just took one one good year of film, um, and showing out. So you uh, you mentioned him and a lot of the other top talent. I know we, we briefly talked about it earlier of uh, players opting out from bowl games. But I do have one suggestion that I think that you will see starting next season because I'm not the first person to come up with this idea. I've taken this from other people. And if other people are thinking about it that are far smarter than me, that are far more influential in college football, I have a feeling that it might get adopted quite quickly. You look at NIL deals and what you can do. I would be surprised if we don't start seeing bowl games put together uh, the NIL packages for star players when their teams get invited into a bowl game and basically putting a, in a sense, it's kind of like an appearance fee of, hey, you play at our bowl game, you know, look at the cheese at bowl. Okay, Bryce Hall, if you play in the Cheez-It Bowl, you know, we'll, Cheez-It will sponsor you and you'll get $500,000. I don't know. Uh, yeah, we'll throw you in a Cheez-It commercial. Yeah, like you'll throw you in a Cheez-It commercial and you'll get paid a million dollars, but you got to play in the game. And it's just something like that that will keep them interested because you've, you've got to get something to offset that risk of injury to them and, and what they're going to be able to do. And I think that we've almost tipped the scales a little bit too far in terms of players opting out. I think there's a lot of players that are losing the ability that maybe are in that third, fourth, fifth round range, or even maybe guys who aren't a for sure draft pick. And 
they want to opt out because they're scared of getting hurt. Well, can think about what you could do for yourself of, of moving yourself up in a draft. If you show out, I guarantee there's NFL GMs that watch those games for fun. Like everybody does around the holidays. And if you show out, that's an opportunity for you to, to show up and be and a GM look at him and be like, I want that kid. Like that kid's playing tough. And, and it's just like a little thing like that, that maybe you wouldn't pop up on film, just showing out one game in front of a national audience helps. Right. I mean, that, that one extra game of film, the extra three weeks of practice that you get for preparing for the bill games does wonders for some players. Um, I mean, I get it. Like if you're a top tier quarterback, Kenny Pickett, I get yeah, it. if you're a top 10 player, hundred percent understand. There is no reason for uh Caden uh, Thibodeau to play for Oregon. Absolutely no reason for him to go play. He's going to be a top five pick, but other players, you can't tell me that all the players on Ohio State, like some of those wide receivers, you can't tell me that those guys couldn't have improved their uh, position. Yeah, there's a big difference in moving from being the 30th pick player to being the 15th pick player. That's a big difference in a signing bonus. Yeah, like Garrett Wilson, he's a wide receiver at Ohio State. I mean, he's not, he, he's a wide receiver three this year behind Smith and Jigba and Chris Olave. He's probably a two or three round, two second or third round draft pick, if he would have gone into the Ohio State's game and put up Jackson Smith and Jigba's numbers, he would have put his name in the first round. 100%. 100%. And so it's like that's where I think some of the college players have to take a step back and realize what are we doing here to everyone opting out. But the NIL deals, if the bowl games are smart and start packaging it, start kind of doing these appearance fees, the, it will significantly help going forward because the bowl games want it as much as anybody else does, as much as the fans want it, as much as wants it. They want that team or they want those players to be playing so that they can sell out their bowl games better. Right. Um, I, I mean, there's a lot going on. The The whole transfer portal, it's going to be a, a wild offseason. I mean, look at it. People are trying to figure out, you know, where they're going to go as, as teams. We've gone through the early signing period. So most teams recruiting classes are mostly full. You've got one more signing period in a month in February, and then you'll start taking more players. And then it's quickly after that, you start looking at it in spring practice. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where some of these players end up, specifically somebody like a Caleb Williams. That's what I'm extremely interested in. Some of these other players, it's going to be a wild, wild west every year from, the moment that uh, college football ends to basically through bowl season, you're going to start seeing these guys uh, hit the portal. And and then once their bowl games end, like you've seen, I think Tennessee today had a couple of people uh, that didn't want to leave till after the bowl game. So they made it through the winter break, get back to classes. And now they want, now they're going to be out because they need to go figure out where they're going to school. Yep. I think you'll see a big um, surge of commitments coming in the next probably five or six days just with, uh, spring semester is starting up and players wanting to get in their new system before spring ball. And then I don't think you see another wave of transfers right after spring ball. Players yep. knowing they're not going to be starters and they're going to want to go find a different uh, opportunity somewhere else. Yeah, you got to go figure yourself out before then fall or before summer camp and leading into fall. So it, it's gonna, I mean, it's a year round thing. It's just you got to kind of look at it in the college calendar to, to know what these the waves are going to happen. It's going to be scheduled around classes um, and practice season for them in terms of when they can figure out where they kind of stand. It would make no sense for somebody to transfer in March because nothing's happening in March. 
classes are in full swing, you're not getting any practices. Um, so it, it's just little things like that to keep an eye on. But no, it's an exciting time of year. Um, NFL playoffs right around the corner. We're running up on week 18. So next week we'll be able to just start breaking down exactly where the NFL uh, playoff picture looks, where the seeds are. There's a lot up in the air this year. Uh, and then you start college basketballs getting into full swing. I know me and you are super pumped about that. Now you're starting to get into conference play. February will go full-blown college basketball. Leads you right into March Madness. It's It will go fast, people. I can promise you that. So before we get out of here, I know we already said we both have Bama winning, but for fun, let's let's go ahead and get a little score prediction out there. What's your thoughts? I will go 31 Alabama, 14 Georgia. You got it. You got him winning pretty handily. Yes. Yeah, I got him. I got him 31-21 myself. Um, I just I will never you will never see me picking against Tom Brady, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, these type of people when it comes to the biggest stage. I would much rather be wrong backing those people than trying to pick against them and be and just look absolutely foolish. I did it last year and when I thought the Chiefs could beat Tom Brady. I did it this year when I thought Georgia would roll on Bama and that they wouldn't be able to do anything. Um, I've learned my lesson, people. I hope you all have learned your lesson. If you're out there and you are a uh, sports gambler and you want to bet against these people, God bless your soul. Um, more power to you. I ain't going to be one of those people. So uh, we appreciate you guys always checking in and listening. Uh, like I said, next week, come back and uh, we'll have, a lot more information for NFL this week was just a uh, nice little college football championship preview episode. We appreciate you having you on Brett. Uh, hopefully we can have a lot more information and uh, have some, bring you back on for some more college basketball here soon enough. Awesome. Yeah. I'm always happy to be on and thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, everyone have a uh, great rest of your day.